0: NFL Friday is back, a special post-draft reaction show back with you from our homes in the Tri-State area alongside my partner, Jackson Heil, and our excellent producer, Manuel Barbari. I'm Jimmy Sullivan. Happy you could be along with us here on this special edition of NFL Friday. Jackson, I guess we'll just start by checking in with the current situation. How are things with you and your family?
1: Jimmy, everything's well. Um you know we're moving along trying to stay active and busy which remains a struggle but um listen we've had a few sporting events come back the KBO is back so that's something to watch even though it's at 5:30 in the morning it's um it's a sporting event it looks like the Bundesliga is coming back in Germany so slowly but surely we're um we're getting some sort of sporting activity back and obviously the draft was one of the highlights of this quarantine so far how about yourself
0: Everything's good, no complaints, Uh, all of my family is healthy, Uh, KBO is a big development, I have decided I am an NC Dinos fan, and they are (laughs) 2-0, so good start to the season for my Dinos, Ariel Taylor, the big home run today, and they're going to be on ESPN tomorrow morning at 5.30am, so you know where to find me at that time, but we're here to talk about the NFL Draft, we'll talk about the local teams, talk about some of the national storylines as well. And let's start with the New York Jets, because Jackson, they had a wonderful draft. They got Mekhi Becton, the offensive lineman out of Louisville, in the first round, traded down in the second round, wound up getting Denzel Mims, a big, tall, freakishly talented wide receiver out of Baylor. Joe Douglas got a few extra picks, and Jackson, I think most Jets fans would agree, first draft for Joe Douglas was a massive success, and he helped make the Jets better, both for now and in the future. What are your thoughts on the draft the Jets had?
1: Certainly agree, Jimmy. Um, I think this is obviously the reason that Joe Douglas was brought in was to orchestrate the draft, and that, that was basically why he was so successful in Philadelphia because he was the brains behind a lot of the drafts that Philadelphia put forward and resulted in them winning a championship. And you look at his first draft, I mean, the offensive line was clearly a area that needed improvement and was clearly the direct area that Joe Douglas was targeting and came down to Tristan Wirfs and Makai Becton at number 11. I was really hoping Jedrick Wills would fall there but he went at 10 to Cleveland so that left Douglas at the option of Becton and Becton's obviously just a freaking house. I mean you look at what that guy can do from an athletic standpoint and you're not going to find an offensive lineman like that in this draft. I mean The guy runs a 5'1 and weighs over 360 pounds. You just don't find that in many offensive linemen. So love the pick. Obviously there's work to do for Becton to get more athletic and kind of systematically understand the NFL, but I I think you have to love the Becton pick. And then going down the line, like you mentioned, Denzel Mims reminds me of a DK Metcalf from last year, just an athletic freak who can make plays all over the field and in various route running scenarios he can just do so much on the football field that he's going to definitely be probably the number two option for Sam Darnold next year and someone that can extend you downfield and then I I love what they did later in the draft too I mean getting Clark out of Charlotte another offensive lineman who has had success before and had success on bigger stages too I know they played Clemson last year and he had a really nice game there and then getting the corner out of Virginia, Bryce Hall, I, I thought that was a steal. I mean, that's a guy who, if he's healthy last year, might be a top two-round pick, and they get him even later than that. So can't complain about this Jets draft at all, and um, I I really like the direction that Joe Douglas went in.
0: And I also like, to Jackson, you were talking about what they did deeper in the draft, just getting a couple extra picks, right? They get an extra two picks from the Patriots trading out of the late third round on night two. They get an extra pick from Seattle trading down, and they still get a guy in Denzel Mims who, like you said, is going to be pressed into duty right away. And we talked about this on the pre-draft show. The choice between offensive line and wide receiver. I kind of wanted to see the Jets at the time go out and get a wide receiver. Now looking at it, makes total sense. Mackay Becton is really good. He's probably going to start week one and he's a guy that can put him on the outside. Like you said, extremely mobile. Uh, it's almost unfair that a guy 360, 370 pounds runs like that. Just It doesn't make sense. Uh, freakishly mobile, incredible athlete. But I just love what he did in terms of stockpiling assets for the future because as I look at this Jets roster, I think they're an okay team. I don't think they're in a position to you know, contend for the AFC East. Could they maybe sneak into a playoff spot? Yes, but as you look at what their schedule is going to be this year, and that's going to be released later this week, it's going to be a hard schedule. You know, They have to play some really good teams. So this year is going to be tough for the Jets. But Joe Douglas is not just looking at this year. He's looking towards the future. And they spent, I think, reasonably in free agency. They got some good pieces without tanking their salary cap with the home run move. And as you look at the totality of what Joe Douglas has done, This next year might be tough for the Jets, but it was going to be tough anyway. But I think the next two and three and four years, they're building a really good core. They're trying to surround Sam Darnold with talent, which is something that the last regime really neglected offense, you know, even before Sam Darnold was there. And how many straight years did they take a defensive player in the first round of the draft? You get a guy in Becton who's going to start. You get a guy in Mims who's going to start. And some of those deeper round guys as well. So great draft for Joe Douglas. And what I like is, has an eye towards the future. There wasn't any home run move. He went ahead and said, look, this is what we're up against this year. Let's get as many good young guys in the fold as possible. That's what they've done. And I think for the first time in a while, Jets fans can be excited about the future, knowing that management has a stable hand at the wheel, and that's Joe Douglas. So kudos to him. I think he had a a wonderful draft, and I think he had a really good free agency too, and he's made a great first impression in year one at the helm of the Jets.
1: Completely agree, Jimmy. And obviously the offensive line is the big thing that needed to be completely restructured. And you just look at how many new names are going to be on the offensive line this year. I mean, obviously Becton and Clark both in the draft, but you got McGovern at center, the former Denver Bronco infant and Van Roten as well. I mean that's five new names on the offensive line potentially for next year. So obviously there could be guys that step up from last year to making progression from year one of Joe Douglas to year two, but there's gonna be open competition on the offensive line for the most part. I mean really, I think the only two you could really lock in right now are Beckton at O tackle and McGovern at center. I think everything else for starting, those other three starting positions are pretty wide open right now. And the the best thing that the Jets have is not only do they have options, but they're flexible in those options. And that Douglas didn't give out any big offensive linemen contracts in this offseason. So it's really, they're only tied to these guys for one year, potentially longer if they'd like, but the guaranteed money is really only for one year for most of these offensive linemen. And then obviously you have Clark and Becton in the draft. So I completely agree, Jim. You have to love where the direction that Joe Douglas is pushing in. And also he was able to help Darnold at wide receiver as well. So no complaints from me in terms of Douglas's draft. And it's clear he's got Sam Darnold's best interests at heart. And I think that's what Jets fans have been looking for for a long time.
0: And and before we move on, let's not forget that Joe Douglas has some catching up to do because of when he was hired last year, they fired Mike McKagan after the draft. They let McCagnon handle the draft and free agency last year. So Douglas, this is really year one for him, even though he's been in the job for the last 11 months or so. So it's a catching up to do for him, but I think he's made a great first impression. We both agree that he had a great draft. Let's move on to the Giants. I think they had a fascinating draft. Andrew Thomas, the tackle from Georgia with the fourth overall pick, Xavier McKinney at 36 in the second round, and Matt Parrott, an offensive lineman out of UConn with the 99th pick. Jackson, it was a similar focus that the Giants had, trying to help out Daniel Jones, wanting to fix the offensive line that was so brutal over the last couple of years and really put Eli Manning in a lot of bad spots. Uh, Jackson, what did you make of this Giants draft? Some people were high on it. Others were a little bit lower. But the headline here, they take Andrew Thomas, offensive lineman from Georgia, all the way up at four when some mock drafts had him going in the mid-first round.
1: Yeah, I think that you look at the top of the draft, and I really like what the Giants did. Obviously, I think there's question marks after you go past Thomas and McKinney. Um, specifically with Yukono tackle Matt Pert. That was an interesting pick, to say the least, I thought. Um, and obviously they took three linebackers in a row, which I thought was very interesting, and four linebackers on the whole. But I, I like the top of this Giants draft. I mean, Andrew Thomas was really looked at as the number one offensive lineman in this draft for a long time. Obviously there were some question marks around the combine and leading up to the draft. There was kind of a lot of question marks as to where he was going to fall, but... I think Andrew Thomas was probably the safest pick. I thought, personally, he was the best O-tackle in this draft, and they were able to get him at number four and keeping it simple. And I love the Xavier McKinney pick, personally. I mean, that's a guy who you look at a lot of draft boards, you could have seen him going top 15, to be quite honest. And he falls to the Giants at 36. And the Giants needed a replacement for Landon Collins that they didn't have last year. So the secondary, obviously takes a big step forward with McKinney. I mean, he's going to fit in right into that fold right away. It kind of reminds me of when Marcus May fell to the Jets a few years back, who was, they're actually looking apparently to trade now, but um, I, I love that pick from the Giants, and I, th- I think those top two picks are guys that are going to be there for a long time. After that, it gets a little suspect. I mean, Darnay Holmes, the cornerback at UCLA, was an interesting pick to me, and I like taking a swing on Shane Lemieux, the guard from Oklahoma, or from Oregon, excuse me. Um, but again, after that, those first two picks, it gets a little shady for me. But uh, overall, I, I think if you're a Giants fan, you have to be pretty happy with this draft, especially what they went with their first two picks.
0: Interesting to look at this Giants draft because two of the first three picks were offensive linemen. The outlier there being Xavier McKinney, the safety from Alabama. If you look after that, all but one of their remaining seven picks were used on defense. You talked about Darnay Holmes at UCLA, Cam Brown, Carter Coughlin, both Big Ten linebackers, TJ Brunson out of South Carolina, Chris Williams in the corner out of Minnesota. It's an interesting year for the Giants, and looking beyond this draft, I think this year especially is probably about the worst year to have a first-year coach because think about everything that's starting to go by the wayside in sports and the NFL eventually is probably gonna be no different, right? You're probably not gonna have OTAs. You, you don't. don't know what kind of mini camps you're gonna have over the summer. They're planning for the season to start on time. You know, we don't know if that's gonna happen, but even if everything does go off on time, Joe Judge is going to get less time with this team than an average first year coach would in any other year. So this is a this is a tough year for the Giants. Um, I think they had a draft Again, I'm with you on the McKinney pick. It's good value. Some drafts had him going top 20 and he wound up falling to 36 on day two. So that was a really, really good value choice for the Giants. Um, Andrew Thomas is the type of lineman who he's big. He's a mauler. He fits what Dave Gettleman wants to do for better or worse. I don't think he's the best offensive lineman in the draft. I don't think I would have taken him at four, but Gettleman likes big, bad dudes who are going to run you over. And that's what Andrew Thomas is going to do. He's not as mobile as some of the other guys that were taken in the top 15, the top 20 picks in the draft, but he's big, he's physical, he's aggressive. And he could add something to this Giants line that Dave Gettleman's really been trying to fix ever since he took the GM job a couple of years back. But Giants are going to be up against it here. And I don't envy Joe Judge or any of these first-year head coaches because with the truncated camps that will take place over the summer and without OTAs, it's going to be tough on some of these teams. And I think teams that are bringing back head coaches that are, you know, bringing back virtually the front offices and that did not make a ton of moves in free agency and trades in the draft. I think those types of teams are going to be at the advantage. And unfortunately that isn't the New York giants. They'll probably be judged a little bit unfairly on it, but that's just the fact of the matter. And uh, 2020 no one thinks it's going to be a very good year for them. They can make some improvements, but it's just a tough year for them right now with a team in transition and everything being shut down.
1: Jimmy, to be honest, I never even really thought about the first-year coach route being that they're not going to really probably have OTAs in a full training camp. It's really an interesting thought because especially with a first-year head coach, it's got to be tough because that's how you really get groomed into all of this. I mean, Obviously, Joe Judge has been there and done that. I mean, he's worked under Nick Saban and Bill Belichick. He's worked for the best. But the only way to really get experience as a head coach is getting right into it. And I can also see getting thrown right into the fire being also a great learning experience for the Giants. And being that the Giants probably aren't competing next year, you could also kind of look at this as a learning year. And I think it was always going to be that, regardless of whether the coronavirus hit this hard or not. But, um... It's interesting that you mentioned Thomas and that identity, too, because it was kind of similar to where the Jets went, in my opinion, just having some big, bad dudes. I mean, Clark and Becton are both some monsters that kind of push the line. And Andrew Thomas is a little bit similar. He's not as athletic as Becton or Tristan Wirfs out of Iowa, but he's definitely a big, bad dude, like you mentioned, who's going to barrel you over and let you know that you're there. Honestly, personally, in the pre-draft show, I remember talking a lot about how I thought Isaiah Simmons would have been a perfect fit for the Giants, and I, I still am, am of the opinion that the Giants should have went with Isaiah Simmons because they need help on defense badly, and even though the offensive line may have been a bigger need, they need a leader of that defense going forward for the next few years, and listen, like you really couldn't have gone wrong with Thomas or Simmons in that regard, but... Man, I'm just, I was in love with Isaiah Simmons coming into this draft. Just his versatility is so incredible to me because he can play in the box, he can cover tight ends better than most linebackers, and he hasn't even played a snap in the NFL, I'm willing to say that. And he's a guy who, honestly, if he slims down, he could be a safety if he really wanted to. He is that athletic and that versatile. So. It was an interesting decision by Gettleman. I'm not going to doubt him on the drafts because even though I'm not a huge Dave Gettleman fan, he has proved me wrong the last two years with the direction he's gone in the NFL draft. But definitely an interesting decision to go offensive line instead of a defensive leader for the next 10 years in Isaiah Simmons.
0: I think the other thing that's interesting is I think about this pick is I really feel like the Giants could have traded down and gotten an extra two or three picks probably even could have stayed in the top 10. And I think Andrew Thomas would have been there for them. That's something that I was mm-hmm. trying to figure out is you're going to keep the pick at four and you're set at quarterback. You know, why not entertain the notion of trading down with the dolphins or trading down with the chargers and you'll probably still get your guy later in the top 10, but you'll also get, you know, a pick on day two or a pick on day three. Instead, they keep the pick. They take Andrew Thomas I like him. I think it's a reach. I'll be totally honest with you. Um, I I think he could be an impact player. I think he could start week one. But, you know, I think this offensive line's better, but it's far from fixed. And Daniel Jones is at least mobile enough to compensate for some of those issues. I think some of the issues that they've had over the last couple of years are exacerbated by the fact that Eli Manning basically didn't move. So every time somebody came home on a rush it was over because Manning just was not going to run outside the pocket. Daniel Jones has that mobility kind of like Sam Darnold does with the jets where he can get outside the pocket. He can make a run. He can make a few plays and that takes a little pressure off his offensive line. I still think there's issues there. I still don't think it's a great line, but I also don't think it's terrible and it's really been terrible the last couple of years.
1: Especially now with Daniel Jones, because you see with his mobility, he can, he can erase a lot of mistakes from an offensive line. I think he showed that last year. Obviously, he's got concerns with ball security, and that's going to be a big thing looking for him to improve on in year two. But like you mentioned, yeah, the the Giants, I don't think they need a great offensive line to really excel on offense. And listen, I'm not saying that they can excel on offense with a below-average offensive line. Every team in football needs to have at least a mediocre offensive line to succeed because you obviously can get away with stuff with a great quarterback. However, Daniel Jones, like I mentioned, is a guy who erases mistakes with his legs and with his ability to make plays downfield. And, Jimmy, I'm in agreement with with what you're saying there because it's not a great offensive line, but I I think it's one that looked a lot worse with Eli Manning because, like you said, he's a guy who was a statue in the pocket at the end of his career. And you look at, obviously, just even the first two games from last year, there, at any time there was any sort of pressure, it was just the pocket collapsed on Eli and he had nothing he could do about it because he can't move. And, th- and that's just ha- what happens when you get older. But um, I-, I do think it's going to be interesting to see in a full year with Daniel Jones, a full year with a new coach in charge as well, and new coordinators as well, how this Giants offense is going to approach things because obviously – seems like a lot of people are forgetting about Saquon Barkley and how he's going to be using this offense. And with a new and relatively improved offensive line, how much are they going to go to him and how much is a difference going to be for him in year three now that he's going to be fully healthy after suffering that ankle injury last year in Tampa Bay. So very interested to see how the Giants approach things going forward, especially with a new coach and a year two quarterback at the helm.
0: Giants and Jets both fixing their offensive lines. Interesting to see what will happen there just before we move on. uh, Shout out to the Jets. Frank Gore signing a one-year deal with the Jets, 37 years young next week. He signs a one-year deal to be the backup running back behind Le'Veon Bell. I love Frank Gore. I love the move. Shout out, Frank Gore, uh, playing at an age most running backs would not dream of. So shout out to him and our producer, Emmanuel Berbari. Eman, how you doing? Hey,
1: guys, I I worry about Gore because I can see by week four or five, he's going to be RB1, not RB2, in front of Le'Veon Bell with how Adam Gaze likes to run things.
0: Yeah, I mean, there is that concern, but you also get the feeling that if that happens, that is bordering on a fireable offense. And also behind a better offensive line, I think Le'Veon Bell is going to have a lot more room to run. So, yeah, yeah. is there a concern with how Le'Veon Bell gets used? Absolutely, because we have an entire year's worth of him being used improperly to show us that. But I think, ultimately, his talent's going to win out, and he's also going to have much better running lanes this year than he did last year because, you know, Mekhi Becton's going to be on that left side. Connor McGovern, I think, is going to be really good. And you have an offensive line that, as a whole, should be better than it was last year. So I worry about that a little but not nearly as much as I would have if they didn't fix that offensive line. And I feel like they did that.
1: I just worry about Gaze because part of his quote-unquote firewall offense this year was his treatment, and misuse of Le'Veon Bell. And I understand you mentioned the running lanes. He didn't necessarily have those this year. But something as simple as checkdown options just did not happen for one of the better pass-catching backs in the league. And I'm very interested to see how Gaze does in year two in terms of utilizing such an asset on offense. For me, it's just like, oh, yeah, Jim, E-Man, I, I agree with you because that was my first thought when he signed, just thinking about to how Gase used Gore when he was in Miami. And even though I, I think Frank Gore did a great job in Miami, I thought Kenyon Drake personally was, at the time, the better back and certainly a more versatile back. And Kenyon Drake was barely used under Adam Gase in Miami. And you look at the way that Le'Veon Bell was used this year, Definitely left a lot to be desired. So, Jimmy, I, I understand how there isn't as much concern with a new offensive line and hopefully a revamped offensive line, especially adding Beckton to that fold because I, I think you look at Beckton and it's pretty clear from a run-protecting standpoint he is clearly NFL-ready. Obviously, I think the pass rush is something that I'd be a little more concerned with, but from a run percent perspective, I think he's ready. Um, I, I, would, I do have a, a little bit of a concern about the way Gore is going to be used, though, and I, I think it's something certainly to monitor over the first few weeks of the season.
0: Yeah, and those are completely legitimate concerns, but Adam Gase has the key to the car right now, and if you're a Jets fan, you're really just hoping he doesn't ramp it up a tree. Now, with Gase's history, he might, but you hope he doesn't. Um, So it'll be interesting to see. Those concerns are legitimate and they are completely founded. Um, But I do feel like Le'Veon Bell is going to have a rebound this season. Jackson, you said something before about being able to get away with things because you have a great quarterback. And that sentence applies to the Green Bay Packers franchise for the last 30 years or so. But that could be changing. They traded back up into the late first round of the draft. They take Jordan Love out of Utah State. A quarterback, a position not thought of as a position of need for the Packers, being that they have one of the greatest quarterbacks ever in Aaron Rodgers. Jackson, I wanted your take on this. It was probably the most surprising move of draft night to see a team like the Packers with Rodgers, who theoretically is still in his prime, go out and get Jordan Love, trade back up into the first round to take a quarterback.
1: Yeah, I can't say I loved it if, if the idea is that you're taking Jordan Love as the quarterback for the future. I, I just – there's so much that can go into this because you could also see him being used as possibly a Taysom Hill type with the way that his legs are able to move. Um, but as a quarterback, I was not in love with Jordan Love personally. I, I know he's a great athlete – And you look at what he did as a sophomore at Utah State, and the numbers are terrific. But, I mean, you look at last year, 20 touchdowns and 17 interceptions in the Mountain West Conference. And, listen, obviously numbers aren't everything. But I have serious concerns about Jordan Love as a quarterback and his ability to not turn the ball over. I mean, listen, there are obviously, if you're using him as a quarterback for the future, The ideas that he develops over the long term, and he's not going to be in the NFL for, or he's not going to be number one quarterback for two or three years. But um, I I just, Jimmy, I'm not a huge fan of the pick personally. I, I see the upside in Jordan Love. I see the athleticism, but I have a lot of concerns of his inability to throw the ball. And that was also, again, we're talking about throwing the ball in the Mountain West Conference. We're not talking about him throwing 17 interceptions in the SEC. We're talking about him throwing interception to the fresno states of the world and even though boise state was pretty good last year and boise state obviously a great program it, it's it, it i am definitely concerned as a packer fan as if this is my quarterback for the future
0: we talked on the pre-draft show a couple weeks ago and you know i had mixed feelings on love kind of the same that you do if you watch his tape there are some throws where it's like wow i could draft this guy right now this guy's really good and then could be three or four throws later, you're like, oh my God, what was that? Uh, where he'll just not see a defender or completely misread a defense. He's a project. And uh, he's not going to see the field in year one. Uh, people are comparing it to Mahomes. Love is not, I don't think, as talented as Mahomes, personally. Um, it's a project. And that being said, I kind of like it. Aaron Rodgers is going to be entering he's gonna be 37 in December you know most quarterbacks even the great ones get to like 38 39 and that's usually about it we think of guys like Breeze and Brady as outliers playing into their 40s and Rodgers is still good don't get me wrong but QBR and passer rating both steadily going down since 2017 and yes Rodgers is under contract for, if you include this year, another four years. So if they want to avoid a massive cap hit, they probably got to keep him on the roster for at least this year or probably 2021. But, you know, they've got possibly an out after 21. And I don't know. I mean, Rodgers, yes, he is still good, but he's starting to go downhill. And if you want to kind of ensure your future – you start thinking about these things, you know, two, three years in advance. And the Packers' front office did that in 05 when they took Rodgers and they still had Favre and Favre was still playing at a high enough level. But you watch the Packers last year, they didn't need Rodgers to necessarily be the Aaron Rodgers that we know to win. They went 13 and three, but Rodgers barely threw for 4,000 yards. What he did really well last year. And a lot of the years before that, too, was he didn't turn the ball over. He only threw four picks last year, threw two picks the year before. He didn't have a great year. That was the last year of Mike McCarthy. So you've got a project in Jordan Love. Maybe Aaron Rodgers can mentor him. Knowing Aaron Rodgers, he probably won't. But I kind of like it. I I think it's a project, and I think this is one of the better places he can go. I was sort of pulling for him to go to New Orleans, because I thought that would have been a really good situation for him to learn under a guy in Breeze who you know is probably done after this year. But you take a flyer on him, you see if it works out, and you're trying to ensure your future post-Aaron Rodgers, because you have to start thinking about that. And I give the Packers credit for taking a big swing on this, but we have to see whether or not it works out, obviously.
1: I get taking a swing and taking a risk. My more concern is why is why are you taking a risk or taking a swing in the first round? When you have at least probably two or three more years of a really good Aaron Rodgers, and listen, I, I agree with your points about Rodgers declining a little bit, and there were definitely signs of that last year. But this is also a Packers team that hasn't taken an offensive player or a skill position player in the first round in how long? Has it been now? It's been like I want to long. say like 15 <laughs> I think or it was 16 2011 years. Was the last one, yeah. It, it, it's like ridiculous. Um. So I, I get taking a swing, but to take it at 26 when you have serious needs at the skill positions, in my opinion, because outside of Devontae Adams, it's just concerning to me. And and obviously the running back position they're completely fine at. But I, I still think they needed possi- – they could use an offensive lineman. They could use a receiver for sure, I think, outside of Devontae Adams because once you get past that, it, it gets concerning to me. Um, I just don't know. I don't know if this was the draft to do it, and I don't know if this was the player to do it. And yes, like Love has a ton of physical tools, and it's the decision making that obviously needs to be corrected. And he's not going to play for a few years, but to me, taking a swing on Love in the first round when there are, are serious other needs on the board that need to be addressed for the Packers, uh, I, I I can't get behind it. I I just can't. Yeah,
0: and, and that's fair enough. And I. I do have a bit of a concern that the Green Bay front office has a bit of Jerry Krause syndrome where they're saying, oh, well, we, we built a good team. We don't need Aaron Rodgers. You, you know, yes, they didn't need him necessarily through the regular season, but you watch the end of that game against Seattle in the playoffs and he made every throw down the stretch to, to win them that game because he still has that potential. Um, and you look at the skill position guys, too, uh, on the Packers, the second receiver that they have right now listed on their depth chart is Equinemius St. Brown, who didn't play last year. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then three and four, you've got uh, Darius Shepard and Daryl Stewart Jr. That's behind Adams. Then you've got Alan Lazard. They brought in Devin Funches, who he can do some things, but... He didn't play a ton last year. He had only three catches. My apologies. That was my auto play. But I I, I kind of – I don't mind it. Now, I, I do think the front office maybe has taken a little too cavalier an approach at pissing off Aaron Rodgers. But, you know, the, just the idea like, oh, they can't take a quarterback because Aaron Rodgers, you know, still has a couple good years. In it. Well, it's, it's not necessarily true. Now, that might expedite Rodgers' exit from Green Bay, but – you know, eventually the two sides were kind of, kind of going to have to figure that out anyway. And I think this is one of the better places Jordan Love could have gone to try to learn. And now it's just up to him and the coaching staff and maybe even Aaron Rodgers to figure out, OK, how can we learn? How can we get you better? And I think a lot of this is going to be up to Aaron Rodgers and how accepting he is of Jordan Love, because that's going to set the tone for whether or not this works. I think a lot of this depends on Aaron Rodgers and not necessarily the organization.
1: That's very fair, Jimmy. And I think that, I don't know if this is maybe the breaking point for the relationship or this may be the point of no return because how Rodgers reacts to this is essential to how the Packers move forward. And I I couldn't agree more with you, Jimmy. And I think that Rodgers probably has to realize that this move was... This is the exact move that the Packers made when they drafted when they drafted him to go behind Brett Favre. And obviously, Favre didn't seem like the the teaching type, but at least it was a position where Rodgers knew exactly the situation he was going into. And I think if he can recognize that that is the situation that Love is coming into, that hey, Love knows his place. He's not the quarterback here for the next foreseeable two or three years. I think that things can be okay between Rodgers and the Packers, but at the same time, obviously, we know Aaron Rodgers, we know his history, and we know how poorly his relationships have come up in Green Bay, especially with the reports about him and McCarthy over the last few years, and even about him and Matt LaFleur in year one. So I definitely think that this relationship is not necessarily tarnished, but I think if it is going to be tarnished, this is the exact point where it is going to break off, and it's all downhill from here if Rodgers makes it that way. I, I can, I really just can't see a point of returning it back if Rodgers has kind of gone off the ship here.
0: I'll just make one last point, and then we'll wrap up. I wonder how the dynamic would have been different if the Packers, say, took a Jake Fromm or a James Morgan. On day two or, or day three, both of those guys,
1: or even a Jalen Hurts, like in, in yeah, round or two. even a
0: Jalen Hurts, um, and that was another weird pick, but sure was. I I yeah, um, <laughs> I'm fascinated to see how they'll use him. Um, but I I do wonder if you took a guy like Jake Fromm because you know Jake Fromm is he going to be an NFL starter in the next three years? Probably not, and I don't think Aaron Rodgers would have felt threatened if the Packers just laid back and said, all right, well, we'll take a quarterback. We'll see if it works out. Kind of like what the Patriots had with Jimmy Garoppolo. And we know how that ended, but Garoppolo, you know, could have been the guy after Brady, but it wasn't like, oh, Garoppolo is coming for Brady's job. It didn't feel like that at all. Um, But when you draft a guy in the first round, I think it does feel a little different. And it'll be interesting to see how that dynamic plays out between Rodgers and Love. But Jackson, uh, this has been fun talking Uh, please stay healthy and uh, stay safe and hopefully uh, we get to do this again soon
1: jimmy a pleasure as always Eman, a pleasure as always thanks for keeping us on the air and uh, tuning in as well Um, but always a pleasure to be with you guys and hopefully we can be back in the studio together soon
0: that's jackson Heil. emmanuel barbari has been our producer doing a wonderful job keeping us afloat I'm Jimmy Sullivan saying so long from the latest edition of NFL Friday.